Next week, of course, Mother's Day, the most important day of the year. And uh, in honor of moms, now I know you you've probably have lunch plans. I mean, it's a big day for lunch plans, and uh, I know Del Taco's getting ready for that. <laughs> but in the morning, we are going to have something that we can only call Mother's Day muffins. And uh, I, I'm not sure what they are, but you're going to want one. Uh, and uh, because I know the people who are working behind the scenes to put these muffins together. Uh, and, and so just bring your appetite to next uh, Sunday morning for the famous inaugural Mother's Day muffin Sunday. Uh, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. All right, this morning we're in the book of Acts. We're going to finish the book of Acts. That's it. <laughs> and uh, no, I'm sure that that was the exuberance of just, you know, having uh, accomplished something marvelous and wonderful and not just the boredom of, you know. And uh, so we're in Acts chapter 28. We're looking at verses 12 through 31. And our topic this morning, Paul's preaching about Jesus angers those Jews who have grown dull-hearted towards the Lord, the title of our message, Angry Flaky Hearts. <laughs> A title that would only work in Central California. <laughs> Verse 12, and landing at Syracuse, uh, which by the way is the capital of Sicily at that time, uh, I knew you'd wanna know that. We stayed there three days. From there we circled round and reached Regium, and after one day the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. So we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Epi Forum and three ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. It came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, 
Their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will hear it. When he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of this part of the book of Acts, the, the part that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit to be included in the canon of Scripture, we want to thank you, Lord, for sharing with us these exciting and wonderful stories. We appreciate, Lord, knowing what the Holy Spirit can do through a man or a woman, through a church, Lord, that is uh, reaching out for you, taking your commission seriously. And I pray, Lord, that we would see ourselves in this story here in our own area in Kings County and the surrounding areas, Lord, and that we would be inspired and encouraged to reach out locally and globally with this great news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and coming again. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. There was no official retirement age in the ancient Roman Empire. There was a consensus that after the age of 60, a man could step down from his formal obligations as a citizen and live a life of leisure in retirement. The Apostle Paul was 60 years old at this time. He was in Roman custody, but he would be released within the next two years. Retirement might sound inviting to Paul at age 62. After all, his body must be giving out on him. We think he had a chronic eye disease, ophthalmalia, that caused his eyes to weep all of the time. In addition to the normal complications of getting older, he had sustained many serious injuries in his missionary service. Five times in his life, he'd been beaten by the Jews, receiving 39 lashes each time. And so his back had nearly 200 lashes on it. Three times he had been beaten with rods. He'd been stoned. He'd been imprisoned several times. He'd survived at least four shipwrecks. He suffered various perils. He called them sleeplessness, hunger, thirst, weariness, toil, and cold. Add to that, he had a deep emotional concern for all of the churches and all of the Christians. Paul might have been the star of one of the great reality programs. You know, today, they're getting weirder. You know, I, I like the deadliest catch. Don't you like that? You know, these crazy crab fishermen up, you know, in the Bering Sea risking their life so that you and I can go to Red Lobster next Sunday for Mother's Day, you know? And I appreciate them. And, and then yesterday I was watching the show. I can only call it comical. It's called Tuna Wranglers. And it's about these guys in the Australian seas who are, well, it's just crazy. They're swimming with sharks. Sharks get into these tuna pens. Uh, all right, let me explain the whole thing. They catch the tuna, they put them in these pens at sea, and then they have to drag the whole net back to, you know, to, sh to the tuna place. And uh, 
And so while they're dragging these nets through the open ocean, sharks break through and get in. And so the tuna wrangler divers get in there and they wrestle these sharks and throw them out of the cage, you know, and stuff. And uh, then there's, there's something, there was ice road truckers and, and there's a show about oh, axe men, you know, the guys in there, they got no fingers because they're cutting down trees and their hands are getting pulled off and stuff. And it's just, Paul outdoes all of those guys as a missionary for Jesus Christ. You hope he never takes his shirt off in public. I mean, the guy is, his back is like hamburger. 62 years old, I mean, what, what kind of a body does he have left? But he doesn't retire. After his release, he keeps on serving the Lord. Scholars believe he made it as far as Spain before eventually being rearrested and beheaded in Rome in 67 AD. From the time he was saved on the road to Damascus, Till the time of his beheading, he served his Lord for 30 years. What was his secret? Was it supplements? <laughs> the Roman water? Nutrisystem, perhaps? Uh, Bowflex? I doubt it. It was his heart, and by that I mean his heart for the Lord. We see the fullness of Paul's heart to serve the Lord as the book of Acts comes to its end. And we see a contrast as well. There are others in this chapter of whom it was said their hearts had grown dull. Your heart can be full, your heart can grow dull. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, exercise your heart to sustain its fullness. Number two, examine your heart for signs of dullness. First of all, in verses 12 through 23, exercise your heart to sustain its fullness. After the shipwreck, Paul and his party wintered on the island of Malta we pick up the story of their travel from Malta to Rome. Landing at Syracuse, verse 12, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day, we came to Puteoli. We found brethren. We were invited to stay with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. From there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Epi Forum and three ends. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, these verses although just chronicling Paul's travel, are packed with spiritual vigor as Paul exercises his heart serving the Lord. First, we're told that he found brethren at Pudioli. It means that he went out looking for them. Then he was surprised on his route by believers who journeyed some 50 miles from as far away as the Epi Forum and Three Inns to meet Paul along the way. In one case, Paul found the brethren. In another, they found him. Either way, it reminds us to seek out fellowship with other believers. Keeping within our analogy this morning, the fellowship of believers is like a spiritual gymnasium for your heart to work out and sustain its fullness. When you're with other believers, God is able to use you to minister to those individuals. He's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. And, and when you're with other believers in the household of God or at some meeting of the church, then you're able to minister one to another. And the more that you exercise those gifts and talents and abilities, the stronger your heart is getting and the more you sustain its fullness. And so in verse 16, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. It should be plural, really, because Paul was guarded 24-7 by series of soldiers who would be chained to him on various shifts. 
We know from reading the book of Philippians, which was written by Paul during this time of house arrest, that those guards were getting saved and further, they were taking the gospel into the household of Caesar and people were getting saved there. And so we learn from this that sharing the Lord with unbelievers is another way we exercise our hearts. As we pour out the love of God to non-believers, God sees to it that our hearts remain full. They can never be emptied the more that we pour them out. You know, we talk sometimes about our place of employment or different areas where we hang out a lot. You know, people say they're chained to their desk and, and uh, you know, they, they don't necessarily like their job or there's parts about their job or their schooling or wherever that they don't like. And yet, Paul, you see here that, that in those situations, you know, he figured he had a captive audience. I mean, Paul was the one in chains, but a Roman soldier was chained to him and Paul would be just, hey, I'm Paul the Apostle. Uh, you want to see my back? Uh, you know, and, and just, hey, wh- what happened to you? What are you doing here? Just in the most natural way possible, he was just sharing what was going on. And, and it was fascinating, I'm sure, to these soldiers. Uh, and they were getting saved. And so wherever you are, that's that place where you are to reach out to others around you. Then it says in verse 17, and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. Now stop there for just a moment. Three days is barely enough time to get settled. It tells us that Paul wasted no time trying to reach out to the Jews. A sense of spiritual urgency is something that definitely will strengthen your heart. A sense of spiritual urgency. You know, as we do in our prophecy updates, uh, and we tell you all the time that the Lord is coming. And we frequently, as Christians, we say that the Lord is coming soon. And that's correct, but it's not the best way of putting it. Because when something is going to happen soon, it suggests a potential period of time. I'm going to finish soon. Could be 1130, 1135, 1140. No, but you know know that I'll be finished soon. But if I was going to be finished imminently, I could be finished right now. And we believe that the coming of the Lord to rapture the church is imminent. It could happen right now. It doesn't happen right now. It could happen right now. And so it's not just soon, it's imminent. If it's imminent right now, if you're going to laugh, I'll just keep doing it. But uh, it, it can happen right now. And so therefore, we have a sense of urgency. And this is... I think, you know, perhaps one of the most important ways that we exercise our heart and keep it sustained is by believing in the imminent return of Jesus Christ because we, we know then that we don't have time to slack off in the spiritual dimension. There's just no time to slack off. If I think Jesus is coming soon, a month from now, a year from now, four or five years from now, then I have time to get around to some things that I've been putting off. But if I believe that Jesus is coming imminently, then everything becomes urgent and I keep my focus. Uh, David Brooks yesterday in in our uh, men's mini camp told a story about D.L. Moody sharing with somebody about serving the Lord and, and the guy said something like, well, I'm aiming to do that. And Moody said, quit aiming and start firing. 
And, and that's the problem with the Christian life. Sometimes we aim to do things. And I'm not talking about things you cannot do or you know, because of your situation. I'm talking about things that we put off that we could be doing. And so urgency, very, very, very important. So in verse 17 goes on, it says, when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. If you read in between the lines, you realize Paul is being exceedingly gracious to the Jews at Jerusalem. He doesn't mention they tried to murder him several times. He describes his appeal to Caesar as something he did almost grudgingly, not in the sense of a counter lawsuit brought against his false accusers. And so he is as gracious as is humanly possible in the situation he finds himself in. If you want to sustain a spiritual fullness of heart, you must let forgiveness and mercy and grace be your rule of life. And one way of letting those characteristics rule is by remembering the big picture. Paul wasn't bound because of the hatred of the Jews. He knew that he was the prisoner of the Lord on account of his preaching and teaching about what he called the hope of Israel. Yes, these people had tried to kill him and they had falsely accused him and they'd done all manner of evil against him. But Paul was big enough and understood enough to step back and realize that there was a spiritual battle going on, a spiritual warfare. These people were acting according to their sinful, carnal human nature, precisely why they needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from Paul. And that's why Paul is the kind of guy who, minding his own business way back in the book of Acts there in the temple at Jerusalem, is attacked by the Jews while they're trying to kill him. He's rescued by the Roman soldiers and halfway up the stairs to the fortress of Antonia, he could say, I wanna talk to that crowd. And in his talk, he is seeking to lead them to a faith in Jesus Christ that the Lord would forgive him, or forgive them, uh, excuse me, and, and receive them into eternity. And so Paul had this big picture the hope of Israel was the coming of Messiah who would fulfill all the Old Testament promises. Not just the Messiah, but his coming and the fulfillment of everything God had promised to Israel. The Messiah was and is Jesus Christ, but because the Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah, they hated Paul. Paul loved them knowing that they would perish unless they turned to the Lord. And so knowing the eternal consequences it keeps things in perspective. Verse 21, they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you, but we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Jews had been banished from Rome for about 10 years prior to this and had just recently been allowed to return. It's therefore not strange they hadn't received any official letters from Judea because the lines of communication were down. Plus, the Jewish authorities may not have wanted to pursue the case to Rome. If they came to Rome and pleaded their case before Caesar's tribunal, 
they would certainly be found out to be false accusers. And Rome didn't take kindly to false accusation. Rome had a very serious legal system. Secondly, they ran the risk of Rome recognizing Christianity as an official state religion. So it was a lose-lose situation for the Jews to go to Rome. Apparently, Paul's case finally came up for review, and when it did, there were no accusations brought against him, and so his case was dismissed. Now, the Roman Jews only knew that Christianity was spoken against everywhere. Should we be concerned about our image globally or locally? A lot of people are. Uh, if you do much reading or keep track of things that are happening in the general Christian community, you know that a lot of people are saying that we shouldn't call ourselves Christians anymore because Christian has such a negative connotation around the world. And so they suggest things like followers of Christ or Christ followers or disciples of Jesus or those kinds of things. All of those are accurate. That's fine. There's no problem with that. Uh, but I really think the way to overcome a negative stereotype of biblical Christianity is personally, one-on-one, -on -one, by loving non-believers regardless what they've heard about Jesus or his followers. Uh, you know, we, we have the, the message of eternal life. And if people have heard wrong or evil things about Christianity, we just need to set them right about it. It's not going to change their opinion by us calling ourselves something else. We have to actually be Christ-like. If you're Christian, you're Christ-like. That's what it means. And so uh, let's just be those individuals who properly represent the Lord Jesus Christ, His love and His grace and His mercy. Verse 23, so when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. What a great Bible study that must have been as Paul went through the Jewish scriptures showing how Jesus Christ fulfilled all its promises and types and was still offering the Jews the kingdom of God. I mean, Paul is a master teacher and with the wisdom and insight of the Holy Spirit and just taking the Jewish scriptures. And, and I mean, this is, a, this is a, a fantastic study. Even going all day and into the evening, he couldn't possibly exhaust the topic. Here he was at age 60 with a history of disease, a body that had been buffeted by many beatings, and yet he is the most vigorous person in the room, the most vigorous person perhaps in Rome. He exercised his heart by keeping focused on Jesus through and in the Word of God, by having a sense of urgency, by seeing people as eternal, and by finding the fellowship of other believers. There is nothing in that list that we cannot do, nothing that's even remotely difficult. These are the simple exercises that will sustain a full heart. Verses 24 through 31, examine your heart for signs of dullness. The powerful anointed ministry of the apostle Paul met with mixed results. Verse 24, some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands a decision. Either you're in or you're out. There can be no fence sitting. If people don't make a decision, the decision is to reject Jesus Christ. You either accept Christ or you reject him. You receive him or you reject him. There's no middle ground. Now, what happened next is of crucial importance to our understanding of Bible prophecy. When they did not agree among themselves, verse 25, 
they departed after Paul had said one word, or actually shared with them this one scripture. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and shall not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will hear it. These words are from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The Jews in Rome were acting just like the Jews of Isaiah's day. Both were rejecting God's word. In Isaiah's day, it led to the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel by the Assyrians. In Paul's day, it would lead to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. If you want a detailed commentary on these verses, you need to read the book of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11. There you learn that because the Jews officially as a nation rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah in his first coming, God has postponed the fulfillment of his promise to establish a kingdom on earth until Jesus' second coming. In the meantime, in between those two comings, the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. That means that Jesus is building the church, which is a totally new and wonderful entity not comprehended in the Old Testament except in types. Once the church is completed, the Lord will resurrect and rapture us to heaven. Then he will turn his attention again upon Israel as a nation during the great tribulation it will culminate excuse me, in the second coming of Jesus to establish the kingdom on earth. All Israel will be saved. The importance to Bible prophecy is this. God keeps all his promises. He has made many unconditional promises to the nation of Israel. He's promised they will have a literal, physical kingdom of heaven on the earth, ruled by their Messiah. He's promised Israel they will be saved. And so those things are going to happen. People get confused about Bible prophecy because they like to confuse Israel with the church. They just see believers in the Old Testament, believers in the New Testament, and they don't make those distinctions. But if you don't make those distinctions, then you end up saying that God has not fulfilled his promises to Israel, will not fulfill them, and, and God, in a sense, becomes a liar. And, and so we keep Israel and the church very distinct. And so Paul is saying, look, Jesus came offering the kingdom, you rejected him, that offer still on the table, but in a few years, this is like 67, uh, in uh, the mid-60s AD when he says this, in a few years the Romans are gonna come and destroy Israel, they're gonna be scattered, and they have been for the last couple thousand years while God calls a people out of the Gentiles, postponing his promises. And so very important set of verses. Verse 29, when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Believing and non-believing Jews entered into a great dispute among themselves. It means an argument broke out and continued. The dispute was the same as it always is. Is eternal life achieved, such as by keeping the Jewish law, or is it received by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? In this case, it was the Jews in other cases, it's some world religion or some other pagan belief or philosophy. How do I get to heaven? How do I meet God? And mankind always says, 
I do it on my terms, I do it my way by doing these works of righteousness. And the Bible comes along, Jesus Christ comes along and he says it's not by works of righteousness which you have done, it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You must receive Christ as your savior and do nothing other than believe. And people don't like that. You'd think that'd be easy, right? That's, man, that's easy, is that all I have to do? People don't like it because it indicates and it dictates that they are sinners who can do nothing to save themselves. And that's really the crux of it. People don't want to admit that they're sinners. We like to think that there's some good in us. Not everybody is as bad as everybody else, but as far as goodness, you have to be perfect to go to heaven. And no one is perfect, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so this is the argument they were having. At the center of the Isaiah passage were the words, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Isaiah wasn't the only prophet to speak about dull hearts. Prophet Jeremiah used the word dull-hearted four times in his prophecy, and it's not a word confined to Jews either. The writer to Hebrew Christians, who many believe was the Apostle Paul, warned believers they had become dull of hearing. What are the signs of this terrible heart dullness? If we stay with our Isaiah passage, the signs are hearing but not understanding because you are hard of hearing and seeing but not perceiving because your eyes are closed. Now, hard of hearing is more like what we call selective hearing. Anybody that has children knows what selective hearing is. It's when you say, would you like chocolate milk? And they go, yum, yes. But in the same tone of voice from the same distance, you say, pick up your toys, and there is absolutely no response so that you, buying into this, say, did you hear me? Well, you know they heard you. And so you might as well just say, I know you heard me. Uh, and, and so we understand the selective hearing, very common among children, and then about half of the children grow out of this and the rest of them become husbands. and practice selective hearing. Uh, and so, so, this is, so hard of hearing means that you purposely ignore or you pay less attention to things that you don't want to respond to. Not perceiving because your eyes are closed means you shut your eyes on purpose and look the other way. We still use this as a phrase in our culture today. Something is happening and we say, well, why didn't the authorities deal with that? And, and the, you know, the reporter will say, well, they knew it was happening, but they shut their eyes to it and looked the other way. And so that's all Isaiah is saying. He's saying that it's possible for the people of God to purposely ignore certain mandates or dictates or commandments or principles or precepts in the word of God they keep some, but they purposely ignore and close their hearing to others. And over time, they become desensitized to, the, to, to hearing the whole word of God. In fact, the word for dull can be translated insensitive or thick. And the idea is that the more you ignore certain aspects of the word of God, the more you shut your eyes to the changes that need to be made in your own life, the more desensitized you get and the more, a, literally, in a sense, a callus grows around your spiritual heart 
so that pretty soon, even the parts of the word of God that you want to hear aren't really affecting you the same way anymore. Okay, I'm scared. I don't wanna have spiritual heart dullness. What can I do? Well, you start a exercise regimen. You know, this is what happens in the physical realm, right? First, you ask your doctor. I mean, if you're, you know, you're trying to get in shape, you're worried about your cholesterol or heart disease, first, you, you should check with your doctor. My doctor, the last time I saw him, he said, Gene, you're in pretty good shape for the shape you're in. <laughs> Which I, I, I took as a compliment, sort of like finishing the book of Acts, you know, it just, very complimentary. And uh, anyway, so, but you know, you check with your doctor. In this case, your doctor in the spiritual realm is the great physician, it's, it's, it's Jesus Christ. So you don't really need to check with him. You know, it's, you're not gonna blow out your heart spiritually by exercising it. You can jump right in to a high level exercise regimen. So here's some suggestions, three suggestions I have for you this morning. I'm sure you have some of your own. It's not uncommon to, if you've been a Christian for a while, to have quit some area of serving the Lord and uh, maybe you quit for no apparent reason, for no good reason, maybe it's just out of laziness or busyness or something, you know, whatever you would call it. And, and you should revisit that and say, you know, I, I just, I need to get back to that. It may be as simple as you've been reading through the Bible every day all year and then, you know, life kind of hammered you and you've gotten away from that. Don't wait till next January 1st to start all over again to try and complete the whole year. Just jump in where you're at right now and get back to that. Maybe you're currently serving the Lord in some area. And by the way, I, I frequently say this, or maybe I don't say it enough, our church has a higher percentage of people who serve than any church I'm, I've ever been aware of. We have a very strong serving congregation. Uh, okay, so kudos to that. But if you're currently serving the Lord in some area, I know this happens to me and I see it in others as well, review your commitment because maybe you're just barely maintaining your area of service. You're just getting there barely on time. You're not praying for it as much as you used to, if at all. Uh, you leave as soon as you can. It, it, you have no new ideas. You have no new vision for it. Ask the Lord to help you to reinvigorate you, maybe to even reinvent that ministry. And then finally, and I think this is also crucial, ask the Lord for some vision to launch out into something you've never done before serving Him. Some completely new exercise regimen that would really stretch you out. Uh, the Lord loves to meet you in those ways and fill you with His Spirit. If we've learned anything in the book of Acts, it's that God takes ordinary men and women and uses them in extraordinary ways, not because of their ability, but because of their availability. And so pray about how the Lord might give you something totally new that you've never done before, and you'll find your heart starting to pump with his joy. Verse 30, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. That's it? That's the ending? Have you ever seen a movie like that where you didn't know how it was gonna end and then it's just, wow, that's it? What happens next? Well, you gotta watch the other two movies to figure that out, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, it, it, it's very abrupt. However, 
really, there's no end to the book of Acts until Jesus resurrects and raptures the church. Because the book of Acts is the story of Jesus fulfilling the promise to send the Holy Spirit to fall upon men and women, individually and corporately, who then are empowered to go out and be witnesses to the farthest parts of the earth. And so each generation is writing its own chapter, as it were, in the book of Acts, and that comes down to you and I in Hanford, California, in Kings County, and the surrounding counties from wherever you come from, each of you is in a sense, a, you know, maybe you think you're a sentence, maybe you think you're a paragraph, maybe you think you're the whole book, you know, and stuff, but, but we're in that story. And you think, wow, if somebody wrote my Christian story, nobody's gonna read that. I mean, it's dull and uh, uninspired. Well, maybe from one point of view, but not from God's point of view. God is the one that is filling you and using you and, and, and all. And so whatever part you have in that story, it's a, a critical part. It's a crucial part in the story, in the overall story. And, and uh, you know, we leave it up to God how he gifts us, whether he gives us the more visible gifts, the more flamboyant gifts, or more the behind-the-scenes kinds of things. But we are in this ongoing story and will be until the coming of the Lord. To come full circle, we started by talking about Paul's retirement. It sounds funny, doesn't it? I mean, just to say, just the question, it's a rhetorical question, hey, do you think Paul would retire? Of course not, because he was the Apostle Paul. No, he was the Christian Paul. He just happened to be an apostle by gifting. And so I would suggest to you that you and I never will retire from serving the Lord. And I would be so bold as to say this, if you're going to retire from some other career or field, then consider retiring into serving the Lord rather than just retiring from life completely. In terms of heart exercise, it's a smart thing to do. You know, we, I think it's an anecdote. It's probably not true, but we talk about people who retire from life and then in a few years, they're dead. Be and you say, well, it's because they worked really hard, then they had nothing to do. They just sat around all the time and, you know, boredom killed them. Now, I don't think that's really true. I just think by the time you retire, you're old and you get sick and you die. But uh, uh, that's what happens. You know, it's kind of the natural course of things. But I think in the spiritual realm, if you retire and also retire from serving the Lord, you're gonna have a dull heart. You're gonna end your time on this earth dull of hearing, and none of us want that. So pray about how the Lord wants to use you now and in the future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. Uh, Lord, though our bodies may be giving out, though they may give out one day, we want to drag them around the way the Apostle Paul did and serve you. Maybe our service is great, maybe it's small. It doesn't really matter as long as it's as unto you, as long as it's for you. Lord, it's not so much that a person would read my paragraph or our chapter of the story and be wowed by it because we accomplished so much but that when they got to the end of it, they could look up from it and say, in this sentence, in this chapter, Jesus Christ was glorified. And that's really all we want to do is bring glory to you in small ways, in great ways.
in all ways. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. <clears throat> Looks like we're going to be in the book of Joshua starting next week, and so if you want to read ahead, you can do that. Uh, cafe is open. Uh, we are experimenting with two new beverages, iced coffee, which is, in this case, a, a milk-based iced coffee. Pretty good. And uh, we have an espresso cola. So if you are tired right now, uh, it's the most caffeine you can get legally in the United States, as far as I can tell. But uh, you'll either like them or you won't. Uh, visit the cafe. Stop by the bookstore on your way out and check out what's going on in there. What do I tell you every week? Look and find somebody that you've never said hello to before and at least get their name, say hi to them. And uh, just spend five, ten minutes here fellowshipping one with another. May God keep you and bless you. In Jesus' name.